Hello, and welcome to In Conversation. Today's guest is Casey Bell. And I have to tell you a little bit about Casey and also tell you when I read his bio, it made me feel like such a slug. He's got 22 books done so far, unless there's been a few more that have slipped past me. He does young adult books, general fiction books, horror book. He has a book of poetry. He has children's books. He has a whole lot of books out there. So I thought it would be kind of fun to have Casey on. He's got a new book that's out. He can tell us about that. But I thought it would be kind of fun to do this as an audio because I don't normally do audio interviews. So we will see how this will go. So, okay, Casey, um, tell me a little bit more about you. Just a brief whatever. Um, well, I actually started out, I think the first time I ever started writing that I can remember was I used to write songs when I was a child. Um, if I heard music, I wrote songs. Um, I remember third grade writing a song for a girl I had a crush on. Um, I sang it to a friend because I didn't have guts to actually tell the girl. Um, but I've always been writing, but because of school an English class and basically me getting C's and D's and not understanding English my initial thought was oh I guess that means I'm not supposed to be a writer so I believe eighth grade was when I had the aha moment where I decided um we went to see To Kill a Markenbird at Rutgers University and I thought they told us you know a lot of the actors are students and so I said that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna to go to records and I'm gonna study theater and I'm gonna be an actor. And instead I ended up at a county college and then I went to another college and I went to New York City and got rejected every time <laughs> I walked <laughs> in the door. And I was just like, I don't understand why this isn't working. And then I started doing you know, little jobs here and there. But I was, the funny thing is, even though I thought to myself, I can't be a writer, I never stopped writing. Like I kept writing, I kept writing short stories, poems, songs, um, books, plays, even films. I just kept writing, but I, I don't know why I was writing because at the time I thought to myself, this is never going to go anywhere. But I do know that um, I was bullied in school. So sometimes writing was my therapy. Mm -hmm. um, when I got rejected at an audition, writing was my therapy. Um, if something exciting happened, I just needed to write it down. So, I mean, I wrote my dreams that I had at night. I wrote down my um, visions I had of what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. So I was constantly writing. And so then finally, I remember I went to some audition and I thought, this is it. I got it. And absolutely nothing. And I just got frustrated. And I was like, actually, I think what happened was something happened where I couldn't actually go. And so I finally just, I just said, God, what's wrong? Why can't I this, this work? And he said, because you're, you're supposed to be writing. He said, you've been writing your whole life. You've never stopped writing. Actually, I was looking for what a, something in my, one of my books last week, and I forgot how many notebooks I had. I had, like, notebooks from 2002 all the way up to now, filled with a bunch of stuff. And the pandemic is actually good for me because I had a lot of to-do lists in there that I haven't done in years. Like, write this. Um, here's an idea for this book. Here's an idea for this. So I've actually been writing now all of those ideas, and... So it was actually in 2007, my church had a, um, a free workshop, how to self-publish books. And that was my entry into becoming an author. 
Wow, that, that, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because it sounds like, you know, when you say you never stopped writing, but you never thought it was going going to go anywhere. I think a lot of people are in that situation because maybe, maybe they never, they write, but they never submit anything or they write, submit, it gets rejected. And, and after like two or three rejections, it's like, okay, this is never going to work. Why am I doing this? And, you know, if the drive is strong enough to write, sooner or later, things are going to happen. But, you know, we have to, we have to respect that urge because it's the thing, it's the thing I think that gets us through. You know, there's always going to be more rejections than acceptances. You know, this is, I remember when I first started submitting something, you know, and, and I would make the classic mistake of, submitting one thing and then wait don't mm -hmm. submit anything else just wait and then of course you know that's where your whole focus is instead of on writing and then when you get that rejection which of course you're going to get that rejection it's like oh i'm, I'm such a failure i'm such a failure and it took me a long time to learn just submit it then forget it yeah and keep working and when it comes back make sure you have another place to send it but right. it's um yeah, we, we can't we can't ignore that that urge because uh, it's you know it's representing that there is something in us that that we need to do we absolutely need to do. Now you've got this new book out, and I just found the whole idea really interesting. It's called "Essays from Dysfunctional Families: Literary Betrayal," and um, the premise of the book is what might people do if they discovered a bestseller written by a relative or friend is based on their life. But it's just not a straightforward book by Casey Bell. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how this book is structured from a, a technical standpoint? Because I just, I found that so interesting. Well, it actually started out as just literary betrayal. Um, I guess I have to tell it myself. I've heard a lot of stories about people and you know nowadays people tmi on facebook and for me i don't consider it shame or guilt i'm like that's a story right there <laughs> and i feel like well if you're not gonna write it why can't i but even in my mindset of well if i change the names maybe i'll change the genders i'll change the age group i'll change the ethnicity there's no way they're gonna know i'm talking about them there was always still in that back of my mind but what if they find out and they really become angry with you so that's when I said, I'll write a book about an author who does that. And so I wrote Literary Betrayal about this author who wrote all this, wrote a book about his family and friends. And in writing the book, in my opinion, it was boring because they kept talking about all the horrible things he wrote, but she didn't actually get to see what he wrote. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what happened if before the actual book, you got to read this author's book of his family and friends' secrets? And that's how it became into life. Um, so the first book is written by the fictional author, Essays of Dysfunctional Families. It's 10 essays written by 10 different people from, and I purposely wrote, um, chose states and cities. I never, like I went online and picked a state and then I put small city, small town in this that I never heard of and hopefully nobody else heard of. <laughs> so that, you know, no one thinks I'm talking about them because, you know, obviously they're from a place you never heard of. And then after that, you read the reaction of the family and friends of this now best oh wow that is that's a fascinating way to to write a 
book. I mean, that, not to mention pretty hard because you've got to basically write two books in one. Yeah. So that, um, that would be, that would be really difficult. Uh, what did it end up in, in terms of word count or pages or something? Give us a sense of how, how big the total book is. Um, good question. I would have to look that up because I don't oh. know <laughs> offhand. Um, but it is, I mean, I only have two books that I would say are somewhat novelish. Mm-hmm. The only two. Um, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, essays. But it's still, in my opinion, not long only because, well, in my opinion, I'm the writer. So, of course, <laughs> the first section is very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, and I mean, I feel like I, I don't know if I should say this. Some well, don't it, give away too much. Some of it is indeed based on actual events that happened, but I made sure you, no one, whoever I'm speaking about can't tell I'm talking about them. Mm-hmm. I made sure of it. But it's very intriguing. And of course, I had to embellish. I had to, you know, this is a book. This is fiction. You got to oh, traumatize yeah. it. You Literary gotta, license, all that stuff. You know, you, you can't just make it simple and easy. So it's 176 pages. Wow. Yeah. Um, total both mm-hmm. books together um, like I said the the second half is not as because you're just reading you're just reading about their reactions no one in his family or friends were like no one said oh it's okay none of them were happy about it <laughs> even though like I said he did make sure there was nowhere no one could know it was them for sure mm-hmm. he still felt like but you took our life you didn't even ask permission you didn't ask and mm-hmm. so Wow. How long did it take you to get it to the point where you said, okay, now it's ready to be published? Um, well, I'll, I'll say probably two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the first was the concept of it. And then only two, three years because I was back and forth. Like I shouldn't do this. This is not, <laughs> I shouldn't do this. This is not nice. And I was like, yeah, I got to do this because for me, sharing stories is more about the um, reader. Mm-hmm. You never know who's reading it. You never know what they're going through. You never know what they're feeling. And, and even though we know, like we have the knowledge, we are not all going, we're not alone in whatever we've gone through that somebody had a similar story. We still feel like we're the only human being in the world that's gone through this and there's no one who can understand us. So lots of times I write to kind of write to people to let them know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it's better that I write this because even though a lot of the stuff that I wrote is in the first book is crazy for all I know someone really did go through that stuff or similar to it mm-hmm. and now they feel like okay maybe I can deal with this maybe I can get help et cetera, right. et cetera, instead of hide it because ultimately my, my goal was to stop hiding stuff because it doesn't mm-hmm. help it doesn't help your life it only makes things worse yeah. so that was the the main purpose of it yeah, and you know, and it is true. I, I forget what that quote is that there's only X number of stories in the world, but it, it is true when you when you read something, even if it's a piece of fiction, and the character is going through something that you can say, oh, I, I know, I know how he feels, I know how she feels, or wow, that sounds like something in my own life. It it validates your own experience. It makes you feel not so alone. So, um, 
you know, or makes you say, wow, I'm not the only one with crazy relatives. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's just, yes. yeah, it, it is. It's, it's making, like having a commonality with the reader. And I, and I think that is important. And you had a little bit of a challenge when you went to get the book copyrighted, right? With the copyright office. Yes. Um, well, usually I, when I copyright, I send it and I forget it. Mm -hmm. And but this one book, I think this book, I actually published it before I copyrighted it. So I wasn't getting any, anything back. And I'm just thinking, is it because it was published before I copyrighted it? Is that the problem? So mm -hmm. I went ahead and I emailed, I think I either emailed or called and said, I just, I said, I'm not, I didn't, you know, get nasty with it. I just said, can you just let me know what the, um, um, the update is on this copyright? Cause it's been a while. And she was like, well, we had a problem with it. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, well, we don't understand. So there's two authors on the book, but you only registered one. And I said, well, yeah, because in my opinion, I, I just assume when you send in the copyright, they read it first to make sure it's not a copy of something. Oh. So I was assuming they would read it first and understand it. I don't know. But she was just like, we don't understand why it's only one name is registered, but there's two names on the copy on, on the um the book. And I said, well, I said, the first book is written by the, a fictional author that the second book is about. And she just paused and went, <laughs> um, okay. Like she said, okay, as if she didn't understand what I was saying. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, we'll call you back. And about a month later, I received it in the mail. And I was like, uh -huh. okay, but I think they just okayed it just to okay it. Yeah. The way she sounded, she still was like, I don't get it. <laughs> even when I registered it, mm -hmm. um, when I copy, um, when I published it, it has two names. It says written by Casey Bell and this other author, but th that author doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. It's a fictional author. So it was, um, I mean, and I, I probably the first person to do this, so I guess no one really gets it. But like I said, the first, I didn't want to not do this story. Mm -hmm. but the second story just does it's it's until you understand what the, the writer wrote the second half is it like, wouldn't make any sense like, who cares so what yeah. he wrote a bunch of stuff but when you read what he wrote you're like oh wow he really should <laughs> he did that so yeah now when did this book come out i published it i believe 2016 mm -hmm. so yeah okay Cool, cool. It's it's been. Have you had any feedback from from any of your readers? Um, yes, and actually, um, someone did respond saying um, one of the stories actually resonated with her. Wow. And I wanted to get nosy. Because <laughs> 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 they're all uniquely dysfunctional. Uh -huh. Like, not that there is such a thing as a functional family. Well, this is true. But they're they're all uniquely probably worse than what in what you 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 think your life is great. I purposely made it where it was like this is the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst you could ever go through in your life. Oh wow! And when she says resonated with one of them, I wanted to know which one. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't ask. I just said, "Oh, I'm so glad." It's such a <laughs> response. But yeah. Wow. Now, one thing I, I found really fascinating, because um, this is something I, I do as well, you switch between doing fiction and nonfiction between so many different kinds of books. What techniques do you use 
when you're switching from fiction to nonfiction or children's book to adults, or do you only do one project, finish that project, and then move on to another one? What's your, what's your strategy? There's only one time, the one book I wrote, A Stranger's, A Family of Strangers, was the only book that I didn't finish before I started publishing all my other books. Mm-hmm. Only because I didn't, I had a beginning, I had an end, but I didn't have a middle to that book. Mm-hmm. But all my other books, I wrote it and I didn't start another book until it was completely done. Mm-hmm. So, and most of the books were written at the most six months apart from each other. Okay. So I, I wasn't even thinking about that book, the next book, at the mm-hmm. time I was writing the one book. So it wasn't, how do I say, I didn't have to switch up because by the time the, the next book I thought about, the other one was already finished. Okay. All right. So that gave you time to kind of like clear your mind. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So speaking of clearing your mind and, and writing, what do you find really stimulates your creativity or serves as a, a writing inspiration for you? Do you do anything in particular? Um, observe people. Hmm. Because, um, or just observe, like I don't, now I don't really, one of my books has a, a um, I remember I was driving home from work late last night and there was a dead cat in the street Mm. and I couldn't tell if it was stray or somebody's cat, but my first thought was, Oh my gosh, whoever's cat that is, they're going to be crying if they, when they find out, et cetera, et cetera. Cause it it looked like it got hit. So that right then and there, I said, I'm going to write something. Something's going to. And so I wrote a Mm -hmm. book that's actually happened in one. And so I make sure I pay attention to stuff. I don't mm-hmm. just, oh, whatever. Like everything you, in my, in my opinion, you see is a story. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a story. And even if it's not a story, I'll make it up. Mm-hmm. I haven't written it yet only because I don't, I think it, it's too sad for me to write it. So I won't. But I remember mm-hmm. I was in, um, I used to work at McDonald's and I was sitting at break and there were two Mex, uh, I think they were Mexican, two Hispanic men. One of them looked Hispanic. The other one looked Asian. So me, I thought, okay, he was kidnapped at birth and he doesn't know it because mm-hmm. he doesn't look, mm-hmm. it's not what that was, but immediately I thought, you know, and probably no one else would have saw that. No one else would have noticed mm-hmm. that. But as a writer, everything is a story and it doesn't matter if it is or if it isn't created. You know, exactly. Up. So I observe, I pay attention to everything, like the little stuff that you, mm-hmm. like I said, a dead cat, no one's going to. To, and in, in the book, the person finds the cat because um, she's a girl. She falls on it and she's crying. Like, I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. seen West Side Story when, um, or Romeo and Juliet when they're crying over the dead body. Right, this, right. That's how, how I made it so dramatic. She's crying over her dead cat. Aww. And like I said, I'm sure no one saw that when, if they see a dead animal, but that's what I saw was that's some what girl you saw. crying yeah. over the cat. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just observe and I, I, I make sure I don't take advantage of anything that I see. Mm-hmm. And that's what but, basically. Yeah. It, I, I know exactly what you mean because I've had like with some of my short stories, it comes from something I saw, but then what it ended up becoming was probably like you said, nothing like what it really was. Um, but the other thing is I, I have, I've found that I tend to start my short stories, most of them with dialogue and um, 
I used to, when I used to fly a lot <laughs> before now, um, I, because I'm always afraid I'm going to miss my plane, I get there like insanely early. So I will get to my gate. And, and the other thing is too, I'm a big fan of getting bumped and getting those free rides. So it would be like, I'd get to my gate super early, go tell them, Hey, if you're overbooked, you can bump me. I don't care. Um, but then you, I sit there and I listen to people, especially people on the phone. And I'm probably just as guilty as everybody else. You're on the cell phone, so you talk too loud, right? And when you're sitting there listening to this, you're only hearing half the conversation. So, of course, you start making up the other half. And, um, yeah, you know, as writers, we are terrible people. You know, we, we eavesdrop, we spy, we, re, we remember everything. Like, like what's, what's that one line, you know, be careful, I'm going to put you in my book. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, um, and I think that is part of our creativity. And even if we don't know what we're going to do with it, it's, it's sort of like, um, it's like we're sticking it on a shelf somewhere. And then we'll be writing and all of a sudden that piece just sort of shows up that may have happened three years earlier, but we never forget. We're like elephants. We never forget anything. Um, okay, so we know what, what works in terms of creativity for you. What have you found uh, is the kind of thing that can really set up a writing block for you, just really shut you down really fast? Anything? Well, I used to... Um, names, characters' names, mm -hmm. and I don't remember when, but finally I said, you know what? I need to start getting the names before I start writing, because when it's when it stops me, it gets me frustrated to a point to where I lose it, and then I get a, a, a like maybe a month block over mm -hmm. because I couldn't figure out the names. And now, when I know I'm about to start writing something, I go straight online, type in boys' names, girl names, mm -hmm. surnames, you know, this, and start looking for names ahead of time. And then, of course, if for whatever reason the character pops up, I'll go get a name. But at least it's not, I used to start without no names whatsoever. Oh, wow. And that would just really be like, what is this person's name? And if I knew like two people, it wouldn't be a problem. But I'm always afraid someone who I know, oh, are you right, talking about me? I'm like, no, I just happened to use your name. But no, I wasn't talking about you. So sometimes I'll type in unique names or, you know, just mm -hmm. try to find the name so no one thinks I'm talking about them. But for the longest time, finding the character's name or location, sometimes I'll say, okay, let's find the locations now. You know, mm -hmm. so I'll do all the research of the small things so that it doesn't stop me when I'm talking right. about Right, right. One of my bad habits is I... There's apparently certain names that I really like. I really like the name Paul for a man. I really like the name Sarah. And there was another woman's name too. And, you know, I have two collections out now. But when, I, when my first collection came out, because the stories were stories I had written over decades, okay? And then I just went, kind of went through the list and said, okay, which of these stories would fit the overall theme? So that was what I was looking at. I really wasn't paying attention to the characters' names. And then the, the publisher who originally brought it out said, I think we have a problem. She goes, you've got like four stories with the same female characters' names. People are going to think it's the same character. You have to change it. And it's like, it's like changing your kid's name when the kid right. is like 10 years old, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, because, you know, I – 
the names usually come to me, but they have to fit. They, they, certain names to me create like a visual image, okay? But not only that, sometimes I want a two-syllable name. Sometimes I want a two-syllable name with the accent on the second syllable. And so when I had to change all these, oh my God, it had to like fit my mental image. It had to fit the way it sounded. I was so, you know, since then I have really tried to pay attention to the names I'm choosing when I'm writing a short story because now I know, who knows, it could end up in a collection somewhere and I'm going to be right back where I started. But yeah, I don't know why certain names just kind of stick in my head. It's just not bad habit, but whatever. And, and like Paul, I don't even have a relative who's named Paul, but there's, there's always a Paul and he's always a nice guy. So I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so you talked a little bit about this in the beginning from your, so you've been writing for so many years. If you had to say the one thing that writing has really brought into your life, what has, what has the act of writing done for you? Not the publishing. Everybody talks about the publishing, like that's the be all and end all, but, the, but the writing itself, what, what does that do for you? What has that what has that done for you and brought into your life? Therapy. It's just a, a form of therapy for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of, some of the things that I write is out of frustration, um, out of anger of something and things that I feel like I can't do much about instead of throwing stuff around and kicking stuff. I'll write about it. Mm -hmm. And it really does soothe me because I'll write how I want things to go. Mm -hmm. the situation, even though maybe in real life, that's not the way it went, but it does make me, it, it soothes me, makes me realize sometimes everything's not going to go your way, but you can write about it and pretend like it does, you know, mm -hmm. so that way you're not frustrated. So it is definitely a source of therapy for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can understand that. Um, Sometimes I will find myself writing stories about events that haven't happened to me yet in real life, but I'm afraid of. Like, both my parents are gone now, but for years, that, that, was, always, that was always something that I dreaded, the day when my parents would be gone, because I was very close to my parents. And so I would find myself writing stories about different kinds of loss as kind of as a way of, I don't know, practice, preparation, you know, you, you kind of walk up to the thing you fear most and get a little closer to it and then run away. But, you know, it's just um, very, very bizarre that the things that we do, you know, as writers, as part of our life. Um, are there things you've learned about yourself in the process of writing? That I can write. Hmm. That, um, cause like I said, <clears throat> something, cause I'm also an artist, something I noticed about art and writing as an art is that as professionals, they always have like a, a, a template mm -hmm. of this is how you should write. This is how you draw. This is how you color. This is how you paint. This is how you do sculpture. This like, and if someone does anything that's remotely a little bit different, that's wrong. You know, that's not how you, you're not supposed to start out to play like that. One of the things I had to remember is that 
if you want to make money as an artist, you have to please the audience, not the professionals. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the professionals may like something that the audience hates. Mm-hmm. And then something the professionals think is horrible, the audience loves it. And being that they're the ones paying for it, it's really not our job to make a template and say, this is how you're supposed to do it. And it's like, but if the audience doesn't like it that way, then we got to find a way they like it so they can get it. Mm-hmm. And so I realized in school, you basically tell everyone you got to write one way, one way only. And after leaving school, I actually joined the book club and the guy in charge picks a nice eclectic range of books. And reading these books, I realized no two authors ever wrote the same. And it doesn't mean one of them is wrong because they're writing it differently. It just means they're using their own voice, their own technique Mm -hmm. to speak to whoever they want to speak to. And so I realized I can write. It's just not the way they may want me to write, but it's the way I need to write to tell the story that I'm telling. So that Mm -hmm. was something I really learned about myself is that you you are a writer and you can write. Mm -hmm. And and when you get a rejection, it doesn't mean you can't write because there's so many reasons why why something will get rejected. You know, it, it, it may not resonate with whoever happened to read it at that time. It may not fit what they were looking for or whatever, but, you know, we, we can't, I mean, it's one thing if somebody, like I, I belong to a, a writing group and we take turns reading, you know, sections out loud, get some feedback. It's one thing if somebody said, I don't understand the character's motivation, you know, that that's a technical critique. And you know, okay, I need to improve that or I need to explain it better. But, um, you know, everybody writes differently. And yeah, you're you're right. You can't just, oh, this is the way you have to do it. There is no have to, you know, as long as you can connect with a reader, then you must have done something right, you know. Um, from a technical perspective, because you've been writing for so long, are there specific things about your writing expertise that now when you look back to when you first started writing and you're doing it now, you're saying, wow, that was something I didn't do well in the beginning, and now after all these, all these years of writing, I've improved on, on that particular thing. Anything in particular you can think of? Um, being more um, specific and um, describing people, describing situations, as far as being, you know, general. Mm-hmm. My first, I would say, two books kind of read more like a movie, mm-hmm. a script, more like a script than a book. Mm-hmm. So I had to, um, well, I'll say relearn because I, I did learn it in school, but I didn't pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't remember who, someone read it and said, this would be a great script. It's just not a good book. And that's when it made me go, okay, I got to reword and um, re- change how I describe things. So it's more of a book, not a script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, setting was never my strong point. I, I, I think I'm really good at dialogue, but setting, you know, I know f- when I go back and I look at some of my early work, it's kind of like I, I was shortcutting it. I, I knew what it looked like right. in my head, but I never gave it enough detail. So then I really, interestingly enough, when I, I love to read Shirley Jackson 
And when you read her short stories, there's, there's just enough detail, just enough of the right kind of detail, like The Haunting of Hill House. I must have read that a million times and I still get goosebumps. And so sometimes I will read it and I will look specifically for what did she write that made that house so real to me? What did she do? You know, I'm almost doing it as a, as a learning thing because I know that's an area that I constantly have to remind myself, get some details. Don't just say flower. Don't just say, you know, house, be a little more specific. So yeah, and I think it. I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us to to keep trying to improve as writers. You know, that's that's we're supposed to evolve. So, last question: What is the next project that you're working on? What are you working on now? Um. Well, I just completed a project, the um, children's series book, American History. Yeah, first two have been published already. Actually, the third one was published just last week. And then there are, what is it? Five more to go. Wow. And it's basically, I um, during college, I had a class, I had a, a history class. Mm-hmm. And our final project was literally just write a paper on anything you want. Like there was no details. There was literally nothing. And so I was originally supposed to be taking an African-American history course, but because there wasn't enough students, they canceled it. So I said, I'll do a a course on, you know, African-American history. This should be easy. Inventors, there's not that many. And in research, I realized there was hundreds, thousands. And I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. They didn't teach me this in school. And so the first book for my nephews and nieces, I wrote a, um, as my sister told me to write a film, and I understand film. It makes everyone knowledgeable, but it still makes people lazy. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, why wait for someone to make a film when you can go to the library now? Uh-huh. You can get a book now. You can, you can get it now and learn it now. So I said, no, I'm going to get write a book because they need to learn. That, that if they want to know something, they don't need to wait for someone to tell them they can read it. Uh-huh. The first book I wrote was um, American History, Americans of African Descent. And then I decided I should probably keep going because chances are there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that we don't know. So I decided to make a whole series. Second book is Latin and Hispanic. The third book is um, Asian because May is Asian Heritage Month. The um, next book is um, Pacific Islanders, the Native Indians, um, Mid-Easterns, Europeans, and then North Central South Americans. So I basically wow. yeah, covered everyone, but I made sure they were people I never knew existed, basically. And I made sure they were something that they did. I mean, everyone has done something significant, but something we didn't know. We, we use like um, windshield wipers was actually invented by a woman. And we use them every, during the rain. Yeah, during the did rain. Did not know that. And it's like simple stuff that we use on the daily, simple stuff that we technically take advantage of don't even know who the the person is behind us having that because when you look at even something Shakespeare's time there's a lot of stuff they didn't have that we have today and it didn't just plop from the sky someone had to come up with it and so then who and when we look at stuff we never stop and say wait who came up with that so the, the whole series is of people we didn't know existed 
they did great things that we use and look at every day, but never knew who was behind it. And it's a, I understand the school system can't really teach American history because it's, unless we, they're teaching, you know, unless we were in the 1700s when it just started, uh-huh. easy, but it's way too much to teach. Uh-huh. So it's really something we have to do on our own. Uh-huh. So this is hopefully a starter for people like children. They, they, it's just a starter. Cause I knew people were going to say, Oh, you're going to do a second African-American. And my thing is, no, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the appetizer, but you got to get your own dinner. Uh-huh. And so that's what I'm hoping these series of books will do is help them get the appetite to make their own dinner and research stuff on their own. Now, are you going to try and get these into school libraries and regular libraries, public libraries? I haven't thought of that, but um, yes. That would be good. Apps and, and go do presentations. I think this is fabulous. You know, that would be, because you're right, that is important. And there's so much we don't know, um, you know, or they, or they only focus on certain types of inventions. Right. And you're right. Some of the the most the most common, the simplest, the everyday things, we don't think about. Gee, who came up with that? Right. So that's um, oh, that is so cool. I love that idea. So, well, this has been an enjoyable interview. I thank you so much for coming on and giving us all this background. And now we've got definitely something and actually given the pandemic and given the fact that kids may or may not be going back to school in the fall this this would be a an interesting thing for you to do a little presentation on for kids you know you know give them a little reading tell them where they can find the book whatever so all right well thanks so much for being part of this little uh this little interview and i i really enjoyed talking with you So you take care and all the information about your books and your website and everything's also going to be on the webpage where this audio will be. So people will know where to find you and, and where to get information about your book. So thanks Casey for being on. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for this opportunity. All right. Bye-bye.